0: I did want to start out by asking one of our Zoomies, I think it's Vanessa, to share her screen. This is a little experiment. I created a meme. Because I think I told you, some of you, I, I'm a little bit of a meme lord on Reddit. I'm never going to tell you my username. <laughs> it's not a very good me- meme, but for, if you can see it, this meme is called So Hot right now. Right? I think it's from Zoolander or something. So in-person church with Zoomies joining so hot right now, and I just love memes because I like the humor of them, and there's just so much like internet history that goes into them, and I thought that might be a good, a good way to start because we are loosely using the Book of Joy, which I have here, as an inspiration for our Linton sermon series, and I really feel like the chapter on the importance of humor and laughter is maybe even more poignant just with all the different stressors that we have going around. I know a couple of weeks ago Rachel came home um, from work and she was telling me about an NPR story that she had heard on her commute and she just came in and she's like oh man it was just talking about how the stress levels in Americans are so much higher than they've been in decades right now and how much that's affecting our mental and our physical health. And I know sometimes we need you know professional help for that or medication and I encourage that when it's appropriate but just on an everyday coping level Humor and laughter and play are just part of our tool set for dealing with stress, right? And so the Dalai Lama and Bishop Desmond Tutu, who wrote the book of joy, they both lived under tremendous pressure, right? So I feel like I can kind of hear it from them. They lived under political oppression, violence, attempts on their lives, attempts on the lives of their families. In the case of the Dalai Lama, he has continued um, living with the systematic like eradication of his culture and his people and so when these two spiritual leaders say one of the keys for like survival is laughter i think we can like take that home in a handbag so i wanted to read just a couple of paragraphs for you this is from page 217 and this is um, bishop tutu writing and this was during apartheid in south africa out south africa as he was leading some of the um the resistance He said, you know, we found at home, in South Africa, that when we were conducting funerals of people who had been killed by the police, we would have hundreds and hundreds of people attending the funerals. It was a state of emergency, so you weren't allowed other gatherings, so the funerals turned into political rallies. And we found that one of the best ways of helping our people direct their energies in positive directions was laughter. Telling jokes, even at our expense, was such a wonderful flip to the morale. Of course, some of the things that happened were just so horrendous, but the humor helped us to diffuse a very, very tense situation, telling stories that made people laugh, and especially to laugh at ourselves. And we said people were really angry, and you'd have the police standing not far away, and it was a pretty explosive situation. Anything could have gone wrong, but my weaponry, if you can call that, was to always use humor. And I thought, man, that is really, really poignant because I think we all feel that, right? That brings us back to this place of understanding our common humanity when we can laugh together. Right? he talks about humor as dispelling tension. He talks about self-deprecating humor, being helpful for that. I often say, and please please don't hate me, especially if you're new, I I tend to have middle school boy humor a little bit. Rachel's laughing because she knows. You know, things like fart jokes, or (laughs) I laugh at those. Um, Physical comedy is a little bit more Rachel's, but people tripping, which sounds so terrible. But I think we laugh at those things because they happen to all of us, right? And it brings us back to this place of like, oh yeah, we are just human together. A little bit bumbling and a little bit gross sometimes, and it's just part of our condition. I know that humor is a way of like pointing out the ridiculousness of hardship or even systemic evil. So I think about the pandemic is just hardship. And when I thought about that, there was a a skit on SNL a few months ago, Kristen Wiig was back and she was, if you don't know who that is, she's a, a comedian. And so she was back hosting and there was this really stupid skit where she's sitting on a bench and suddenly all these like little growths come out of her that looked like meatballs and they started like singing. (laughs) And it was so dumb, but I thought that is so perfect for the pandemic. Like it's not like naming the pandemic, but it was sort of like poking fun at this weird thing that we've all kind of got going on. And I thought, okay, she's kind of hitting the right note because we laugh at the things that scare us because that takes a little bit of power out of that scary thing, right? At least for a little while. And there's humor that's all over the Bible. And I think it's pretty easy to miss just because of the language and the cultural separation. But I think that one would expect that a collection of writings by a people who have borne oppression throughout their history would include some like, you know, poking fun at different things. You know, there's a story about a guy who just refused to listen to everybody in his life and so his donkey turns and starts talking to him and putting him in his place. It's pretty funny. There's another place, um, it's a little bit of speculation, but it, it's, I think it's very plausible. Jesus has two friends named James and John, and it, we're told in one place that he calls them, he's given them a nickname, Sons of Thunder, right? Sons of Thunder. Well, in Luke 9, there's a story where those two guys, James and John, are standing with Jesus and they're mad and they're like, trying to evoke Elijah and they're like, Jesus, we just wanna call down fire from heaven and like, eradicate all your enemies and she's just like okay no like what are you doing but i could just see is that where sons of thunder came from like okay sons of thunder <laughs> like just take that down a little notch right james and john the story that comes to mind the most quickly though when i think about bible humor is esther which lisa ruby reminded me last week was purim and so esther is traditionally read or reenacted during that holiday Now, when I heard the story of Esther growing up, it was always told as this sort of solemn tale about, you know, this young, beautiful, chaste woman who was brave and who saved her people from certain doom. You guys had that? Esther, yep, everybody knows Esther. And the story is that on some level. But what I missed was the comic aspect of the book because it wasn't taught to me as a comedy And so what I've learned is that our Jewish friends and people who just study literature recognize that the primary genre of that book is actually burlesque, right? Burlesque is simply just an absurd, exaggerated, tawdry comedy. And I guarantee that if you grew up evangelical or more conservative as I did, they never taught you that Esther is burlesque. So it's, it's kind of helpful to think of it a little bit more like a Shakespearean comedy. It's a little bit like much ado about nothing, maybe parts of a midsummer night's dream. We actually did a pretty in depth study of Esther maybe five years ago here, so I'm not going to go quite that deep, but I thought let's just look at the beginning of that story for some flavor of it. So, the opening scene of the book of Esther is of a giant party that's being thrown. So, there's been like six months of a, a big festival that's been going on throughout the land by the king of Persia who was throwing this and his name is Xerxes. And he's got a wife named Vashti. And so at the end of this six months of festivities, they, it kind of like culminates in one week of a huge party. So think like beer fest in Ipsy or maybe top of the park in Ann Arbor, right? So it's like the entire town, it says the whole capital city is invited. And the men were out partying by the garden, by the palace, and the women were partying inside the palace. And as I wrote that, I was like, oh, this is so binary, especially for our congregations. I just want to acknowledge that I'm sure our non-binary friends were also there, and I'm sorry that they were not written into the story, but we know they're there, right? But the men are by the palace, the women are partying inside. And so we've got this scene where the king has been partying really hard, and the wine is flowing, and he seems to be drunk out of his mind with all the other men in town. The text says he was high in spirits from wine, and then he turns to seven eunuchs who have these ridiculous mumbo jumbo names in Hebrew. Right? So they're like these, this band of fools, if you will. It's like Larry, Curly, and Moe, or Puck, and Falstaff, and Godberry, if you like Shakespeare. And so he turns to this little group of fools and he says, I'll try and do a drunken voice here. Somebody needs to go get my wife. She's so beautiful. She's the most beautiful woman in the whole world. Tell her to wear her crown and come down here so I can show her off. Right? I know Addie's like, oh. (laughs) So these seven eunuchs, they go up to the palace where the queen is there entertaining all the women of the town, and they relay the king's message. And they're like, the the king would like you to wear your crown and come down to the garden so he can show you off. And Queen Vashti responds to the eunuchs in the way that I think most of the women and non-binary people here would respond. She says, there is no way in the H-E double hockey sticks that I am going down to that garden by myself to be ogled by thousands of drunk men. Right? No, it's not happening. The Midrash, which is the Jewish commentary on the scriptures, speculates that the king had actually asked the queen to wear only her crown, which just kind of adds to the sauciness of the request. So then when the king learns of the queen's refusal to come and do his bidding, to be paraded around before all of his friends, he seeks some counsel from his advisors, right? What should I do? And so one of those you know, very clever advisors pipes up with this. He says, you know, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but against all the nobles and all the people in all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women and they're going to despise their husbands and they're going to be like, well, King Xerxes told Queen Vashti to come to him and she wouldn't come. So that very day, the nobility of all the women who have heard about the queen's conduct, they're going to start to respond to all the king's nobles in the same way and there will be no end to the disrespect and discord. Right, this is straight from scripture here. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written into the laws which cannot be repealed. That Vashti is never again to enter the presence of the king. And let the king give her a royal position to somebody else who's better. And then when the king's edict is proclaimed, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. Right? And so the king, we're told, thought, well, this sounds like a really good idea. So he did that. And we notice that the advisors, they weren't concerned that the queen was disrespecting the king like in his official capacity and like um, jeopardizing his authority as king. No, they were concerned that since she didn't come at her husband's bidding, the fair wives weren't going to come at their bidding, right? And most rabbinical commentators that I looked at think that those nobles were actually worried about like a national sex strike. That's the underlying <laughs> story there. Right, and that the women would just say no all of the time. It's a little bit like the Greek comedy, The Lysistrata, if you know that, which was written actually around the same time. And so the story's poking fun at gender dynamics here. And then we also notice the absurdity of a king just creating laws out of thin air, while drunk, that can, you know, never be repealed. Right, that, that is a ludicrous way to rule. Right? The Persians were actually renowned for their operational management, and so it's poking fun at that reputation, maybe even suggesting that things that look really powerful and organized can have an element of stupidity and randomness about them. Right? It takes some of the power out of that. When I was thinking through that this week, what it reminded me of, is, I don't know if you've seen on TikTok or Twitter, but um, when I've been watching some of the, the things about Ukraine, there's been these TikTok videos where some of the Ukrainian farmers are just taking their farming equipment and they see these like big rows of Russian missiles and they just go over with their farm equipment, hook up the missiles to their farm equipment and drive it off. Have I any of you guys seen that? And it's totally comical, right? Because they know they're outpowered and outgunned, but there's just something hilarious is something that kind of diminishes that power when you can laugh at it and be like, well, I'm just a farmer, but I'm just going to, let's just see what happens if I drive off with this, right? And on its most basic level, I think the story of Esther is entertainment, right? It's meant to sort of lift the spirits of people who have been living under the thumbs of various empires, but then the story has these other layers, right, uncovering these various truths about power and pointing them out in less threatening ways. And I think, how do you critique gender dynamics and big empire and big money the same way we do today, right, through comedy, through SNL and The Daily Show and all of those things? Did any of you guys see the movie Don't Look Up? A few of you on Netflix, I think it's up for an Oscar. If you didn't, it's a parody about um, a giant meteor that's supposedly about to hit Earth and the running joke is that there's a whole movement of people saying that if you just don't look up, which you could clearly see it in the sky coming, if you just don't look up, it's not real, right, we're fine, everything is okay. And it's funny, but it's also serious, right, and the wink-wink part is that it's actually about global warming and that just pretending like it's not happening doesn't mean that the danger goes away. And so the story of Esther has a little bit of that wink-wink factor. Right? It's entertainment, but it's also a story that's warning about the dangers of poor governance, of empire, about the lavishness of upper class and the damage that that can wreak on a nation. And so humor at its best tells the truth. Right? And it, it does it in a way that lets us recognize that we're not alone in our sufferings. And then when we laugh with other people, that we're, we're kind of meeting on that basic human level. It helps us to reconnect. I thought we might not yet be quite at the point of, you know, like having parodies about the ongoing pandemic, but I think we can cultivate spaces in our lives that facilitate the eating and drinking and being merry and having some good humored fun and that making space for play, I know that can feel hard, especially in the winter it did for me, but making that space for play and laughter and connection with people is actually really vital for our ongoing physical and spiritual health right now. Right, taking that time for friendships and comedies and whatever it is that is a priority in helping us find joy. So with that, we're going to have a little meditation here. And we often do a minute of silence or a little guided meditation. So I'm just gonna invite you to, if you would like, just get comfortable, take a couple of deep breaths I'm not going to ask much of you here just to like still your mind and I'm just going to read a verse from Job 8:21 and let's just let it seep into us here a little bit this morning. God will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. God will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. I know I'm here this morning and I almost feel like I I almost need to hear this as like a promise from God. God will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Let's maybe take about 30 seconds, I'll let you know when the time is up, and just maybe ask God to fill our mouths with laughter and bring more joy into our hearts. jesus we know this is it's been um it's been a mixture of both a hard time as well as you know times of experiencing you and of joy and sometimes the hard um feels like it outweighs the joy for some of us and so i ask spirit that you would just continue to fill our hearts with laughter and to help us find spaces and make spaces and be invited into spaces where humor and laughter and play um, are part of it. Lord, I ask that your spirit would continue to bring us comfort and peace, that you would just reignite some of the connections, even among our community. I know I've been feeling some of the loss of that, and that that will help restore some joy. We know that You love this church even more than we love this church and we love you and we feel honored to be able to just gather and worship you this morning. We ask that your spirit be with us, amen.